morning. Good morning. Pastor Don sends his greetings and his love. He's hey, up at the Governor campus today. So he says hello, everybody. And he's glad you're here. Our God is an awesome God. Amen. And I have seen him do some pretty amazing things this week. Amen. When we just have eyes that look to what he's doing. Oh. When we give ourselves to listening for what he's saying. Yes. He never ceases to amaze. And this week I had the opportunity to pray for my sister-in-law's nephew. The initial reports is like, this kid's going to die of a brain tumor. Oh, no. You know, and they said it to this boy. The doctors told him, you know, like, hey, look, you need to be prepared because one day you're going to die and it could be this brain tumor that's going to kill you. Like, who says that to a little 13-year-old boy, right? And so the goodness of our God, because we testify of all his marvelous deeds. The first person my brother and sister-in-law called was me. As soon as they got the report at the, the hospital, they called me up and they said, will you please start praying and have your friends pray because we know that God answers you. The situation, pray for them. You know, this little boy, he is completely consumed with fear. Now, before he was just sick, you know, it stinks being sick, but now he's consumed with fear of death because he doesn't know Jesus. And so I immediately, I just, I didn't call up all my friends. I just spoke to that situation. My faith arose in anger, anger that this world could be so insensitive and harsh and hurtful, not protecting their young. Because that is the spirit of this age. That if it's an inconvenience, kill it, destroy it, get rid of it. And we see it manifested every single day in abortion clinics across the world. And so I lifted my voice and I prayed with my brother over the phone that God would bring a good report that when he come out of that MRI, there would be absolutely nothing there that what they saw in the CT scans would turn into absolutely nothing. And then not only that, that he would have peace and comfort and hope for his future because it would be bright in the Lord and he would be healed in Jesus' name. Because the kid thought he just had a sinus infection and that he thought the snot infected his eye. They just went to get eye drops. And so I called my brother up the next day. I said, so what's the good word? He's like, there's absolutely nothing there. Nothing there. Nothing. The infection took, it traveled the nerve, through the eye, through the nerve of the eye into the brain. So they call that meningitis when you get an infection of your brain. But because he was already on antibiotics, and because he's already at the hospital, they immediately just put him on IV antibiotics and boom, gone. He feels like a whole new young man. Amen. Because our God is an awesome God. And on Tuesday nights, we meet here at 6 Thursday for our Good News Tuesday. And we declare the glory of God. We take time to pray for needs. We 
use the word of God to exhort, to build up the body of Christ in our faith, and we rejoice and testify of all of the answered prayers. Thank you, Jesus. That God can do it again and again and again. Because we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, not loving our lives unto the death. This week we kick off week 51 of our March 4th. Our bookmarks and our reading plans are out on the table in the entryway if you need to pick one up. Guys, it's almost been a year, 52 weeks in a year. Next week it'll be a year. Are you still on the train train? Are you still marching forth in the word of God? You may not do it every day, but the heart of our Father is that you would just increase from where you're at. He's not asking you from being able to lift a five-pound dumbbell over your head to bench pressing 400 pounds or deadlifting 400 pounds. Up it's in an eight-pound dumbbell. So if you're used to only reading a verse or two or a chapter, increase that to a full chapter or two chapters. Or if you're used to reading several chapters a day, read a book of the Bible in one sitting. Increase your strength in the word of God because it is what makes us like Christ. It renews our mind and it draws us closer to him. So we're on week 51. Next Sunday, our time of fellowship following the service is a potluck Sunday. So if you're going to be here next Sunday, that is February 23rd, if you like the date for your calendar. Sunday, February 23rd, potluck Sunday. So bring a dish to pass. Jessica might bring her buffalo chicken dip. I just threw her under the bus that there's not an expectation for buffalo chicken dip. It's really good, and she does two crock pots. She does a mild version and an extra hot one. So she can make everybody happy. Now they can just make that barbecue, but that would be weird, right? I'll stick to my barbecue wings. And also today we have Pastor Chuck and Sister Georgia at the manor ministering to our senior saints who live in Oswego. And we just, Father, we lift up Pastor Don and Pastor Chuck to you that they have gone to the north to go more and to the south to Oswego. Father, I ask for a fresh infilling of your Holy Spirit. Give them eyes to see what you're doing and ears that hear what you're saying, that you would use them powerfully to touch the hearts of everyone they minister to. And Father, we pray for an increase in the harvest, God, that you would bring salvation to those who are lost, that you'd bring freedom to those who are bound, that you'd bring hope to those who are lost in darkness. Yes, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. We have two videos to finish our announcements. So, Ms. Linda, go ahead. I'm Pastor Chuck, and this is my wife, Georgia. We're both members here of Grace Point Church. We've had a ministry for a little more than 10 years. It's called The Manor at Seneca Hill. It's a place where the elderly can be, but they can also come to know Jesus Christ. Pure and undefiled religion is to visit widows and orphans in their need. We would enjoy having other people from our church family to uh, join us. Thank you. Thank you for choosing Grace Point Church this morning. We are so happy and pleased that you are here. You are welcome here. I pray that all your needs will be met today. God bless you. Amen. 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 All right. Jesus, man. 
<laughs> I to write it with my bass chord, oh well. So if you'll just stand and join us. Father, today, as we sing the words of these songs, may they truly be the prayer of our hearts. Lord, your word says that you come and you rest on the praises of your people. So God, if, as we sing of you and sing to you, Lord, be glorified in this place. Use it to make us more and more like you. In Jesus' name, amen.
your broken heart 
along with it because people have failed you over and over and over again. Jesus is here to heal your broken heart. Amen. Do you need him to make a way for your provision and your finances because you don't understand how you're going to make it? Our God is Jehovah Jireh, our provider. And he is here to meet your needs if you will just trust him. God is always working on our behalf. Jesus died and rose again so that he continually make intercession on our behalf. Where 
where our feet go is territory that is claimed for you. Where our prayers reach is places that are reached for you. We lift up our hands to you in honor of you, in praise of what you have done and what you're going to do. We hold tight to your promises. We hold tight to your word. We hold tight to your spirit that you put within us, God. Thank you for your mercy, Thank you for your grace, Let me speak. 
Father, in your holy presence, we just we come before you. And we say amen. Let it be. Let it be. All the things that you spoke for your people, let it be. As we prepare to take our offering this morning. Just want to be incredibly aware, I think, right now. No matter what we see, God is always working. There's people around the world right now that are doing the work of God. And we don't even know what's going on. <laughs> Have no clue. This month, we said we were going to take up offerings for Operation Christmas Child. So that's what we're going to continue to do. We've got a 90-second video to show a little bit of the process of what happens with that money. And then we've got something else special. So just pay attention to this, and then we'll, we'll pray for the offering and take it up, okay? Amen. This journey with individual love, and each item packed an expression of that love. From there, it finds its way to a drop-off location, with thousands of these centers located all over the world. Trucks then transfer the shoebox gift to processing centers, where they will be inspected and prayed for by volunteers. Then they're loaded onto containers, heading overseas, covering thousands of miles. At port, the shoebox gifts resume the journey on ground, some by road and some by trail, concluding their journey at a local church. Each shoebox gift is given to a child in need. Love has traveled many miles to bless that one child. Each shoebox gift is an opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus with a child. The child is then invited to attend a follow-up discipleship program where they will grow in their faith. After graduating from the Greatest Journey Discipleship Program, children will be equipped to share the truth and love of the gospel to family and friends multiplying the body of Christ all over the world. All right. Heavenly Father, we just pray that you use our dollars, use the money that you gave to us, the resources that you gave to us as we give back, both to you know, keep lights on and other things in the places where we need them to be. Heat and lights are great. We thank you for it. And also, God, we thank you for the work that's going on around the world. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. This won't take very long. So, even when we don't see it, God is working, right? Even when we don't feel it, God is working. We're doing a lot of things as believers. If I had everybody come up here and testify of what it is that God has you doing in your life for the kingdom, we literally would probably be here all day. We can't really do that. But what we can do is invite people up when they've been out doing things that are, that are a lot of work and, and also recognize work that's being done in the Lord. And so we want to invite Brother Dan Quinta up right now just to share for five minutes. He's fresh back from Haiti, and he's going to testify a little bit of what the Lord is doing there. Ooh. I'm back alive, amen? Hallelujah. Thank the Lord for His uh, goodness and His mercies that endure forever, amen? 
Lord, let the meditations of my heart and the, and the, and the words of my mouth be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord. Amen. My God and my strength and my Redeemer, the Psalms 19.14 says. And whenever we go forth into Haiti, or, you know, whenever you step outside of this building, the enemy's out there to, 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 to steal, destroy, and to kill, and to maim. And, you know, uh, when I went to Haiti this time, we, uh, the first thing I do is when I see the people, I say, Mupote Ampio Benediction, I say, I bring much blessings from my church and the people Amen. with me to you. And they all erupt and they get all happy that you're praying for them. Amen. And so, you know, I, and, and so, the, I, so they say, Pastor Daniel, bring back more blessings to your people too because we're excited for them that they pray for us. We don't know what it is to be in a, in a situation like Haiti. Yeah. Haiti is, is, is a terrible place. The people struggle every single day to just get food on their plates Amen. and on their tables for their families. Jobs are unheard of. Uh, the things that happened over in Haiti this whole summer with manifestations and riots and, and no gasoline. Uh, I just want to thank the Lord that when we went this time, we uh, went for three weeks, and we got a lot done for the Lord. We didn't have a team in tow this time. It was myself and Assistant uh, Director Gary Mullen and myself. We went and got a lot, of, lot done and accomplished, and we went on a stealth mission this time. We came into our, our orphanage and our school unannounced because we wanted to see if everything was intact and doing what it was supposed to do. And we, we can't, that's right. Unannounced. <laughs> Well, I don't know if you guys have read the article about the 15 children that just died in a fire over in Haiti, in a bogus orphanage. A bogus orphanage. Hello, do you hear what I'm saying? It was a bogus orphanage. They exploited these children, and they made millions of dollars off from selling children into slavery and sex trade. And they had a fire over there, and 15 children died in that fire. It was an illegal operation. We are certified by the, by the government to run our school and to run our orphanage. And uh, we're thankful for what God's doing. So we go over there to Haiti. We, we come unannounced. And immediately, uh, Pastor Gary Mullen, he walks right up into the school. And all the teachers are teaching. All the kids are in their uniforms. And everything is copacetic just Praise the way God. it should be doing. Amen. That's what, That's what we want is with the Haitians to help themselves. Amen. And so... One of our projects this time is called the Living Water Project. Our Living Water Project is uh, we have no water in Obus. The only water that you get in Obus is when it rains and it fills these cisterns that they have. that are made out of cement and a lot of them are cracked and they aren't that great. Well, the orphanage doesn't have any water. We don't even have any cisterns. So what we've been doing is uh, collecting these. these uh, Dominic Republic, back a few years ago, uh, donated a bunch of these 330-gallon uh, black barrels, black plastic barrels. And they've been sitting around over in Haiti, and these people in Obus, uh, some of them use them, some of them don't. They've just been uh, basically doing nothing with them. And so what we did was we said, look, if you're not going to use them, why don't you sell them to us? And these barrels are like about 400 bucks a pop, and they were given to these Haitians. 
And so we went over and said, look it, we'll give you 100 bucks per barrel. That'll give you some money in your pocket. And we need these barrels so that we can start our water project. So all of a sudden, barrels are starting to come out of nowhere. You know, we've, got, we've, we've bought five of these barrels now. And at the school, we, uh, we went this time, we set up two of these big barrels, uh, potable black uh, plastic uh, barrels for water, joined them together. So we've got 660 gallons of water now. So when it rains, the, the water comes off and goes into these plastic barrels. There's no cracks. We have to worry about our cement, things like that. So our kids in our, our school now have water. Amen. Our orphanage now has water. Two more barrels we set up at, a, at a, uh, one of our security guards' homes uh, is collecting water now, and that's close to our garden. And what we've got is we've, we've got now, so we've got 660 gallons we're collecting. When it rains, pray for rain for Haiti because... I'll, I'll fill you in just real quick on that. But here, the, the, the barrels are out there by our garden. And see, we're surround, we, we've got seawater that we're dealing with, salt water. And if you know anything about plants, plants and salt water don't mix. It kills them. Okay? Kills us, kills animals, kills whatever. So when the fresh rainwater comes into these barrels, we, we're going to have a, a, a hose that's going out to our garden. And we've went to a, uh, a place up in Watertown called Chapin's, Chapin's uh, Watermatics. They, uh, they gave us a discount on some of these, what's called a drip method that you put into the ground and it, it, it slowly feeds the ground water so that our vegetables and things can grow. So we installed those two barrels there, two barrels over by the uh, orphanage. And we're praying for rain. We're praying for our gardens to start popping up. And... Uh, we just want you to know that your prayers are important to us. You know, your finances, of course, are important to us, but your prayers are even more so because when we go over there, we go over in dangerous ways sometimes. But when God, when God says it's time to go, it's just like the children of Israel. You go and you come back, and you know God protects us no matter where we go and what we do. And I just feel impressed this morning to tell you that each and every one of you is important to the kingdom of God. Each and every one of you. Don't think, oh, Brother Dan, you're doing such a great... No, look, I've been chosen to do this, okay? It's my talent. It's what God's given me as talents. Uh, pastor Dave's been chosen to, to be a pastor. That's his talents. Nobody is greater than the other here. You all are vital and very important to, to, the, to this church and to the mission of Haiti. Your prayers are important. And I tell you, I covet your prayers. You're important. Each one of us is important to the kingdom of God. And, you know, when you pray, you're doing your job. When you're, when you're giving, you're doing your job. And I want to thank you all. This, it's, it was a good report. We're going back in April, God willing. We've got, we're, we've got some more barrels that are lined up. If you want to help with the Living Waters Project, uh, see myself or Brother Dave. Um, the, uh, the other thing that we're looking at is that our orphans are doing great. Our school children are being taught. The, uh, when Haiti was shut down in January, late January, early February, that's when they started their school back up because of the manifestations over in Haiti. Our children never missed a day up in Obus. They kept going and kept going, and they've been being taught. And so when, they're, when June comes, July comes, their school day's done. Their, their year is done, but the, the Port-au-Prince kids, they got to keep going on. They're going to school Saturdays now, and they're going right straight through to August because they've, they've lost so much time because of the turmoils over there in Haiti. 
So if you've got any questions, we've got a lot going on. See Sister Denise. She's one of our assistants that, that's heading up the child sponsorship program. Uh, it, it, everything is just wonderful. I want to thank you all for your prayers. and You bless me. You bless the people of 80. God bless. Boy. I'm going to back up a little bit. You guys are like really spread left and right here. <laughs> that way, it's always weird when I'm sitting, like, you guys are like sitting behind me when, you, when you're up here. Our pastor's up here like this, and, and he has, I, feel, I feel like he has to keep turning around and looking at us. So I'm just backing up, that's, that's my thing. Little quick thing, don't follow my rhythm in worship. Okay? <laughs> I'm a complete child when it comes to that, and uh, don't ask me how I can play a guitar and sing and not be able to play a tambourine, but... <laughs> I'm still baffled. <laughs> Next week, we got invited to go to a, um, a church, Heather and I, um, a friend of mine that I work with, he's been wanting me to come to his church for a while and testify. This is a... This is a predominantly, well, it is a, a church where everybody there is dark brown, and I'm light brown. And so in the past, when I've gone to like Sweet Haven and other places that are predominantly dark brown brothers and sisters, I clap on the wrong beats. I played it. I, I had one guy that I went to church with out in Fort Leavenworth, and, and uh, we were two songs into the service, and he pokes me, and he says, brother, you got to stop that. <laughs> I said, what? Leave me alone. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh. So, Dan, thanks so much for sharing that. And, uh, and Pastor Dave, after church, um, Trisha's got a box of shells. And if you would pick up a shell, it would remind you to pray for 80. Just a, a little token that I brought back. And it, the, the kids, the orphans and the kids are of us where our mission has picked up these shells for you guys. Okay, so we, I brought them back for you. So Thank they wanted you. to give you a gift. Thank you. That's so good. That's precious. Um, we set up, when we planned for this year for special giving and months and stuff like that, we set up the month of October to focus on what you guys are doing with Team Haiti for Jesus. So um, every other month we're trying to highlight a different thing that's going on you know through the body of christ here like dan said you know there's a lot of people doing work and we're all i thought you were going to start preaching my message but that happens a lot <laughs> we're all one you know in the end we're all one so i'm a big fan of reading the bible okay that's why we started uh march 4th uh you know through the bible uh, program that we started and uh we were on week 50 this past week. We were covering 2 Chronicles chapters 7 through 14 and John chapter 11 and 12. And as I'm reading what's going on in here, I'm thinking, wow, this is incredible. Like all of a sudden I'm starting to th see things. You know, when you're reading God's word, he starts to speak to you. Yeah. He starts to highlight. You're like, oh, I never saw that before. Sometimes I swear he puts stuff in there that wasn't there before. And all of a sudden it is, but I can't prove it. I'll have to ask one, one day in heaven if, if I remember that question at all. But as I read these things and I was praying, I was like, okay, so God, what do you, is there something that you want me to say this week? And this is what comes out of it, okay? What I want to try to just demonstrate through Scripture is, the better you know Jesus, the more effective you become 
at advancing his kingdom. Yes. And there's sufficient evidence, like you could preach so many messages out of what we read just this week alone, okay? But I'm just going to cover a few things. And so I was like, okay, evangelism. This is on the topic of evangelism. To preach the good news. You look up the word evangelism in the, in the uh, Strong's Concordance, and what you're going to get is it's to preach the gospel. It's made up of two words, good tidings. Basically, you are declaring it. You are showing it. You are bringing it. Okay? And so I saw the word bring it and I said, oh, that's kind of catchy. Bring it. When we go out into the world because we've had firsthand experience with God, we're called to bring it. Amen. Did I forget to release the children? They went. Okay, I'm sorry. I did forget though. <laughs> Pastor trained me well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. So, my thought is this. If we're faithful to do our part, a lot of times God, he's always faithful. But there's there's an essence of responsibility. Dan has to go where he goes. There's a part that he's expected to play. And he does it with all his heart out of gratefulness to God. And when he does that, God brings his part. Now, it's probably a truer statement to say God's been bringing his part long before Dan ever showed up. But there's a, there's a partnership there. At any point, he can say, I'm done. Yeah. But I don't think he will. <laughs> All right. So, I titled this message, Bring It. It's about knowing God better, the effects of your relationship with Jesus Christ, and how it affects the kingdom. When I was praying about it, we're in, in 2 Chronicles 7 through 14. We're in John 11 and 12. Thursday morning, the Holy Spirit woke me up with a dream. And he said, one person plants, another waters, and God brings the increase. And don't forget the woman at the well. So, okay, I've heard that before. One person plants, one person waters. I got in there. That is 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Linda, if you could put up that, the, the scriptures that I have. It's, a, it's slide number uh, three, I think. Oh, you don't have the... She can't get the projector up. If there's a foundation to be laid here, it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm not going to read it. Yeah, they're all right there in easy worship. Um... The other one is John chapter 4, the woman at the well, verses 39 through 42. Those would be foundational things. Everything I'm about to share, if you read those chapters, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. If it's not clear to you by the time I'm done sharing today. So I'm going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Or excuse me, um, 2 Chronicles in the Old Testament chapter 7. We're going to talk about four kings. We're going to talk about their relationship to God and the effect it had on the advancement of the kingdom of heaven at that time. Now, in the Old Testament, when we talk about Israel, we're talking about a parallel now with the church. The Old Testament, the kingdom of Israel, is like 
the church in the New Testament, okay? The Old Testament, thousands of years ago, the kingdom of Israel was at the height of its power and influence. King David had just passed away or was passing away. King Solomon steps up, okay? Now, disclaimer, every one of these kings has sin in their life, okay? I'm not going to focus on their sin today. You can read about it in the Old Testament. It's all there, all the dirty laundry or a lot of it, okay? What's shown in Chronicles chapter 7, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, all through verse, uh, chapter 7 and 8 actually, is the relationship that Solomon has with the Lord, okay? Now with some kings it says, this person did what was pleasing in the sight of the Lord, or this person did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. In Solomon's case, all it does is show the relationship that he had with God. He prayed and God talked back to him. He spent his whole life building up this temple, well, 20 years of his life, I think, building up the temple in his own house. And when he dedicated the temple, the presence of the Lord came and filled that place visibly and powerfully, so powerfully and so visibly that the priest had to stop working. Everything stopped when God showed up. There were many witnesses, and I guarantee you when they left, they had stories to tell. Can you imagine God appearing in a room and everybody falls silent? Do you think you're going to go home and talk about that? Or are you just going to go home and... As you read about Solomon, what you find is that the advancement of the kingdom, because of his relationship with God, he was obedient. It says he did all the commands of Moses. He followed all the commands of his father David concerning the priests and the Levites. This guy was a worshiper. And despite the sin that was in his life and the things that happened later on with having a bazillion wives, he made costly decisions to follow God over and over again. He even took one of his wives out of his house and sent her to another place because the Ark of the Covenant had been in that particular house and he didn't want her there because she possibly was worshiping idols. You think that caused some ripples in the marriage? Yeah. I could hear it now. I'm not good enough for God. <laughs> okay. So, king number one, Solomon. But his kingdom was marked by generosity. He had everything. He had everything. And in Christ, you have everything too. It says so in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, right at the end of it. You can read it. You have everything because of Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1 also says the same thing. Solomon sat at the top of the known world. There were kings and queens coming to his kingdom to see the wisdom, hear the wisdom, see the things that God has, do, God has done in the kingdom of Israel. The advancement of the kingdom during that time was powerful and it was going across international borders. That's what you read in chapters 7 and 8. So if you put up number four for me, God brings it, if it's going to go. Did you guys figure that out yet? Oh, okay, I'll just say it. God brings it, okay? He brings his presence when we share his gifts generously. That's what Solomon did. That's what he lived by. Do you know that people came and they brought presents? You bring presents to kings, right? They brought presents. 
When the Queen of Sheba left, she left with a bigger pile of presents, with greater presents of greater value than what she brought to Solomon to begin with. I would just go by what I'm reading in chapters 7 and 8. Solomon's relationship with God appeared strong. It was visible. There was communication going on. The kingdom was advancing. Strong relationship with God. The kingdom advances. It's pretty simple when you think about it. But man, it's not to be taken for granted. King number two. Chapter 10 starts out with this heading in my Bible. The northern tribes revolt. <laughs> wow, something's going on there. Solomon dies. Rehoboam comes to power. Solomon's son. Some things make me cry when I read scripture. I hope it does you too. Chapter 12, verse 14, talking about Rehoboam. But he was an evil king, for he did not seek the Lord with all of his heart. One generation from father to son, all kingdom advancement by, by appearances and what you read here in these chapters stops completely. You want to hear something even sadder? Chapter 12, verse 1. But when Rehoboam was firmly established and strong, he abandoned the law of the Lord, and Israel followed him in his sin. The second point I would make is that it was on my fifth slide. God brings it when we seek him wholeheartedly. But if we don't do that, if we fail to do that our part, all kingdom advancement stops through you. Do you know what he spent God's resources on the entire time? The entire time he was in power. He spent it on attacking and defending his own brothers and sisters. You see, during his reign, early on, he was doing what was right. First three years, it seemed like everything was good. God calls the Levites and the priests back to the southern part of the kingdom, but they were still united because of what Solomon had done. And the northern kingdom, the northern tribes come down to, to Rehoboam and they said, please, hey, Solomon was really harsh to us. Can you guys, can you give us a break? Can you lighten up the load a little bit? And Rehoboam answers them harshly. And the result was the king of the northern tribes, Jeroboam, took the whole northern part of the kingdom. And now they were separated. Rehoboam gets the bright idea, I'm going to attack them and take it back. God sends a prophet and says, don't do that. Do not attack your brothers and sisters. He listened one time. You read this statement at the end. Rehoboam and Jeroboam were continually at war with each other. 
always having to defend yourself against attacks from your own brothers and sisters. Always having to prepare to attack your brothers and sisters as a counteroffensive. And so what I learned when I was reading about this king was that God brings it when we seek him wholeheartedly, but if we abandon him, trouble comes and we start attacking one another. King number three, Jeroboam dies. His son Abijah pops up on the scene. This guy is incredible. I'm like, thank you, Lord, there's hope for mankind. <laughs> Abijah comes on the scene in, verse, in chapter 13. Now there's still remnants of his father's kingdom. It says war broke out between Abijah, Jeroboam, and Judah, led by King Abijah, fielded four... Okay, Judah, led by King Abijah, fielded fielded 400,000 men. Abijah of the southern kingdom, Rehoboam's son, Solomon's grandson, fields 400,000 men. War broke out. Now he's expected to fight the northern kingdom just like his dad had been doing. The northern kingdom comes down with 800,000 men. But there's something different about this guy. Abijah just doesn't go blindly to war and spend all of his resources attacking his brethren. I want to read this to you because it's powerful. And I want, to, I want to see if you can pick up on this guy doesn't want to fight his brothers. This is what he says. He shouts to Jeroboam and all of the northern tribes of Israel. Don't you realize that the Lord, the God of Israel, made a lasting covenant with David, giving him his descendants the throne of Israel forever? Yet Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, a mere servant of David's son Solomon, rebelled against his master. Then a whole gang of scoundrels joined him, defying Solomon's son Rehoboam when he was young and inexperienced and couldn't stand up to them. Do you really think you can stand against the kingdom of the Lord that is led by the descendants of David? You may have a vast army, and you have those gold calves that Jeroboam set up as your gods. But you've chased away the priests of the Lord, the descendants of Aaron and the Levites, and you've appointed your own priests, just like the pagan nations. Yet any, you let anyone become a priest these days. Whoever comes to be dedicated with a young bull or seven rams can become a priest of these so-called gods of yours. But as for us, the Lord is our God, and we have not abandoned him. Only the descendants of Aaron serve the Lord as priests, and the Levites alone may help in their work. They present burnt offerings and fragrant incense to the Lord every morning and every evening. They place the bread of the presence on the holy table. They light the gold lampstand every evening. We are following the instructions of the Lord our God, but you have abandoned him. You see, God is with us. He is our leader. His priests blow their trumpets and lead us into battle against you. O people of Israel, do not fight against the Lord, the God of your ancestors, for you will not succeed. Meanwhile, Jeroboam had secretly sent some of those 800,000 men around behind Abijah's army. When Judah realized that they were being attacked from the front and the rear, 
They cried out to the Lord for help. At the sound of the battle cry, God defeated Jeroboam and all of Israel and routed them before Abijah and the army of Judah. The Israelite army fled from Judah and God handed them over to Judah in defeat. Judah defeated Israel on that occasion because they trusted in the Lord, the God of their ancestors. 500,000 men died that day. Half a million men died. And I would say, I got a slide here, number six. It says, God brings it when we refuse to attack other believers. You take two passionate people and put them in the same room, before long, you're going to start having words. You know why? Because you're passionate about one thing and I'm passionate about another. But as we've heard so many times today, every believer in Jesus Christ is part of the same temple. That's also in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We are one. God brings his presence when we don't attack one another. This gets even better. Abijah got more powerful, by the way. His son Asa comes to the scene. Asa did what was pleasing and good in the sight of the Lord his God. No one tried to make war against him, for the Lord was giving him rest. He came to this conclusion, the land is still ours because we sought the Lord our God. And he's given us peace on every side. So what does Asa do? He says, hmm, my grandfather Rehoboam abandoned the Lord. That didn't go so good. Abijah had to fight his countrymen. The Lord was on their side. It didn't go so good for the countrymen. But I'll tell you what, I'll bet you they went home with a story to tell. Because God brought it, the kingdom was advancing. Now for a period of, I think, 10 years, the northern kingdom didn't attack the southern one. Peace. It's a kingdom principle. Mm. This is a good one. This makes me uncomfortable. God brings it when we foolishly trust him to do the impossible. Asa goes to work attacking pagan shrines and altars throughout the land of Judah. He says, my dad, you know, stood with the Lord. I saw what the Lord did. He pursues God even more. You know what's interesting about him? Not only does it say that the Lord, that Asa did what was pleasing and good in the sight of the Lord. But there's a word change in the way that he relates to God. You see, his father Abijah called on the Lord of his ancestors, the God of his ancestors. There was a relationship there, but there was some distance, it felt like. You know, it's more formal. Asa's minding his own business. He's not attacking his brethren. He's doing what God calls him to do with his resources. All of a sudden, it says in verse 9 of chapter 14 now, an Ethiopian named Zerah attacked Judah with an army of one million men. The legendary battle of Asa's time was his father's battle 
400,000 against 800,000. And they stood with the Lord and God gave them victory. This time, it might be as little as 400,000 against a million. I want courage like this. Asa deployed his armies for battle in the valley north of a place called Mereshah. It doesn't say he was scared. It doesn't say he freaked. It doesn't say he panicked or called for help or reinforcements. It just says he deployed his armies. Outnumbered as many as two to one, maybe more. A million man army. It's kind of foolish to go to battle against an army that big. But this is what he does. Asa cries out to the Lord his God. Oh Lord, no one but you can help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, O Lord our God, for we trust in you alone. It's in your name that we have come against this vast horde. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let mere men prevail against you. Asa's relationship with the Lord transcended just a, you know, a distant acknowledgement of God and a belief and a trust in him to this was his God. So the Lord defeated the Ethiopians in the presence of Asa and the army of Judah and the enemy fled. And not only that, but if you read on, you find out that they took enemy territory. The kingdom advanced in proportion to the relationship of the man that was leading the advancement. He had a strong relationship with God. God was his God. And not only did they overthrow the enemy in a battle that should have gone the other way, if you look at numbers, but they took enemy territory and a whole bunch of plunder. And because we're westernized, I do not understand the value of mountains of sheep and goats. But to them, it was a huge deal. <laughs> There's other stuff there too, but to them, it was huge. Five minutes left. I talked about four earthly kings. I want to talk about the king of kings. We read in John chapter 11 and 12, Lazarus gets sick and dies. A friend of Jesus, a close personal friend of Jesus. What do Martha and Mary do? They do exactly what we've all been taught to do. They call out to Jesus. Jesus shows up four days later, calls Lazarus out of the tomb. Lazarus is raised from the dead. When I turn to John 11, verse 45, talking about the, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. It says, many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. When they saw this happen. You see, when God brings it, people start telling others. 
And I know I've been guilty of, and I've also had guilt heaped upon me by people saying, you know, that we need to invite people to church. We need to invite people to church. We need to evangelize. We need to do it. And I've tried all sorts of things over the last 25 years. Some of them I don't want to talk about. <laughs> they didn't go so good. Most of them were foolish. None of them were without fruit, I don't think. God brings it when people tell others. You, because of the work of Jesus Christ in your life, are a first-hand witness to the power and presence of God. And when you go out and tell the story of what's written on these pages and what Jesus means to you, that's part of evangelism, right? You're preaching the gospel. You go out with the truth. You're armed with the truth of what God has done in you. And you're armed with the truth of what's written in the pages of the Bible. You're also armed with the Spirit of God because if you believe in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. True worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. You don't want to have one without the other. I lived a good part of my early years trying to argue people into the kingdom of heaven with words. That didn't bear much fruit. Something God taught me in the last 12 years was that when a person encounters the risen Jesus Christ for themselves, I don't have to work so hard at trying to convince them. Does that make sense? I said I wasn't going to share this, but I need to share a little piece of it. Actually, no, I don't. Holy Spirit gave me John chapter 4. That's where I'm going to go. I'm going to close with this. You see, when you testify, you're a first-hand witness. But when you talk to another person, now they would become a second-hand witness. Because if Justin comes and tells me how great Jesus is and what Jesus has done in his life, and I don't receive that, and I don't encounter God, and I go in, in, in maybe for some reason, because I'm like, hey, I just talked to this guy. He said that Jesus did something for him. It's a second-hand witness. I'm not saying God doesn't use it. God can use a donkey. What I'm saying is a first-hand witness... Their testimony is more powerful than a second hand, or a third, or a fourth, or a fifth. When you're it becomes hearsay, right? Yes. So the woman at the well, Jesus encounters a Samaritan woman at the well, and she obviously is there with Jesus. She comes to believe he's the Messiah. She runs into town and tells everybody, come and see the man that told me everything that I ever did. Later on, it says this, verse 39, chapter 4. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. Many people believed that and went and said, we're going to believe in Jesus. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village, stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. And then they said to the woman, now we believe. Not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Over and over again, I've had the privilege of seeing people move closer to the Lord. For me, evangelism, it ultimately ends in people coming into the kingdom, receiving Jesus Christ as their Savior. But a lot of people, it feels like 
It feels like if Jesus is in the middle of this big circle and people are little chess pieces and they're all, it, it feels like when, you, when God is there with you and you're with those people, they take little steps towards Jesus. One day you're called to plant the seed of the gospel. You might not see that person again for another two years. Hopefully somebody else is called to water that. Somebody else is called to take care of it. But in the end, the most powerful witness is when people encounter the presence of God for themselves. And Pastor said it, and it's not original. He wouldn't take credit for it. I don't even know where it came from. You can't give what you don't have. Your relationship with God, the closeness that you have with Jesus, directly affects how effective you are at sharing the gospel. And you can put the, court, the, the, the horse in front of the cart and say, I need to go out and work and leave the presence of God behind you. Or you can spend your time investing in your relationship with Jesus and be moved by his spirit to do and say the things that he's calling you to do. And then when you go out to work, you know you're doing what he said. And you do your part and he does his part and I'm telling you, when you open your mouth and testify of Jesus and God shows up in power and does something that gets everybody's attention, there is no arguing at that point. Everybody in that environment is faced with a choice. Do I move closer to Jesus or don't I? That's what I got today.